All right. We all feel a need to belong. To belong to something that is bigger than ourselves. And this is why, say, trivial illustration, my, as children, my brother and I formed an old-fashioned secret club. And maybe we may have been bored or lonely or maybe just reading too much Calvin and Hobbes. But we had fun forming our own secret and specially designed organization for ourselves. And as typical boys, our club was formed on basic, mischievous, and semi-violent principles. We called ourselves the Bandana Fighters Club. And that didn't mean we were a fight club or that we wore bandanas all the time. Actually, there was a dog in our neighborhood, a neighbor's dog, that we felt was the bane of our existence. And his name was Bandana. So our mission was to strategize and devise plots to fight Bandana and however we could. Looking back, the Bandana never did anything to hurt us, only bark. But, and rest easy, you can rest assured, we also never did anything to hurt the poor vilified creature. But regardless, we had a vendetta against this dog to, to scheme and to take him down. We needed, like, we wanted to belong to something that was bigger than ourselves. And I think we all feel that need. The feel, the need to belong to something bigger and outside of ourselves. On a much bigger scale, this is why we as humans instinctually and repeatedly form endless amounts of clubs and organizations and communities and groups and gangs and circles of friends, campus clubs, fraternities or sororities, Facebook groups, Neighborhood associations, PTAs, political parties, activism groups, sports teams, even virtual video game communities, all seek to fulfill this need and to scratch our itch to belong to something. If you're a Christian, you likely already know that you belong to a community in the church. But among the smorgasbord of possible communities you can be part of today, the church may not stand out to you at all. You may have a hard time seeing the difference between the church and any other group or club. Just another group of people vying for my commitment or time or energy or money. But I'd love to show you that The church is not just another thrown-together community. Yes, we are a community of people and a group of like-minded people and an organization of sorts, but we're far more than just that. Biblically, we could be described as an organism, not just an organization. Using one of the most common pictures to describe the church, the Bible says we are a body. Or body, we are a living organism known as the body of Christ. And I believe that if we properly view ourselves as the body of Christ, it can transform the way we see the church, the way we love the church, the way we act as the church. It helps us really belong in a way that you won't find in any other group of people anywhere. We're going to spend the next few weeks seeing and exploring these things together, what it means for you and me to be the body of Christ in the world that we live in today. So if you have a Bible, please turn 
in it to Ephesians chapter 3, which is in the middle of the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3. If you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, that's on page 977. Now, some of you are like, I thought we were studying Job. (laughs) Yes, we still are, okay? We're just taking a short break, and we're going to return to his story in October, all right? But once you find your spot here in Ephesians 3, I'll invite you to approach God's throne with me once more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word once again this morning, I pray that you would enlighten us, that you would open our eyes, open our minds, soften our hearts to hear from you. May we see these words as truly coming from you, not from me, not from words on a page, but straight from you and through your spirit to our hearts. May they change our hearts, may they change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've had you turn to the book of Ephesians, which is a great little letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church located in Ephesus, which is an ancient Greek city located in modern-day Turkey. But as it's preserved as part of God's Word, this letter is also for our church today here in Ottawa. And the I'm just going to catch you up quickly to chapter 3. In the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out how amazingly blessed we are in Christ. Like he says in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He talks about how we've been chosen and loved and predestined and adopted and redeemed. It's an exciting, beautiful, triumphant description of our salvation, really. We, be- we believe the gospel, and we were sealed by the Spirit all to the praise of His glory. Joyful, exuberant. In the middle of all this joy and praise, Paul introduces the church at the end of chapter 1. He says, God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So even from that one verse there, we're already starting to get the idea that the church is something really special, that it's some kind of grand culmination of God's plan and work on earth. And then... In chapter 2, Paul starts out by saying, but none of us even remotely deserve this. We shouldn't be part of the church because all of us start out as dead in sin, followers of Satan, and children of wrath. Okay, if you don't believe me, you can read it in the first few verses of chapter 2. But Paul quickly gets back to the good news that we're rejoicing about. He says in verse Five, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He's basically saying throughout these chapters, remember who you were. You were dead in sin. But, remember what God did. He saved you. By grace, 
through faith. So, remember who you are now. You have, you are nothing without Christ. But in Christ, you have been given everything. And because you've been saved, you're now part of the new people of God, the church. Chapter 2 ends that way. In verse 19, you can follow along. He says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that brings us to where we'll study today. Paul says in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So, because sinners have been made saints and placed into the church, Paul was given a job to do. He, was a, he says he was a prisoner on behalf of the church and a steward of God's grace. God had entrusted him with being a grace caretaker, a grace dispenser to everyone around. He was also a newsbreaker for the greatest news in history. Again in verse 2, Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul got to be a mystery revealer. God, unveiling secrets that have been kept hidden for centuries. You notice what the main mystery was? Did you see it? It's something that had been kept fairly secret for generations, but once Christ came along and then the Holy Spirit, everything was made clear. It's like Paul whispers, hey, psst, I've got a secret to tell you. Lean in close. And then he yells it in your ear. <laughs> it's not a secret anymore. He's blatantly revealing the secret. Verse 6. He says, sorry, I lost my place. Verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what is this big mystery he keeps talking about? It's the church. The church find that surprising? If so, we likely far underestimate the church's significance in God's plan. What's so amazing about the church? Why is Paul almost giddy about the church? Well, because the church is much more than a loosely affiliated social club. 
It's a supernaturally formed, grace-driven, universal organism. Here's how I put it. By God's grace, we have been brought together in a mysterious, multicultural body. And only by God's grace, we've been brought together in a wonderful, worldwide body. By God's grace, we've been brought together in a mysterious, multicultural body. By mysterious, there I don't mean confusing, okay, more marvelous, wonderful, mind-bending. Let me ask you this question. What gives you a right to be a part of the church? What gives you a right to be a part of the church? Notice I didn't ask, what gives you the right to come to church or to go to church? Because everyone has a right to be here at our church building. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, you're welcome here. We're so glad you are here. But the church building is not the church. We have to be very clear on that. Okay? It's just where the church gathers. Because the church is a people, not a building. Brought together by God. Going to church and being part of the church are two vastly different things. So back to the question. What gives you a right to be a part of the church? Some of you might think, well, I've always been a part of the church. Uh, Or I I grew up in the church. Or my family is a Christian family. We go to church. That's what we do. Some of you may think, well, I I decided to follow Jesus. Or I got baptized. Or even I went through an official process and became an official member of the church. But, if you think that any of those is what gives you a right to be part of the church, you are wrong. It is only by the grace of God that we are brought together as his church. We don't choose to be part of the church because of anything we do. It's all grace. God saves us. God brings us together. God builds his church. God unifies us as his church. Think about this. Before Christ came, how did God's people worship together? Well, there was a temple in Jerusalem, and known as the house of God, where God's presence dwelt, and God's chosen people, the, the Jews in this case, would gather there to worship God. If you are a God-fearing non-Jew or a Gentile, you could come onto the property of the temple, but you could go no further than what is called the court of the Gentiles. So it would be like today, you would be welcomed onto our front lawn, but you couldn't come inside. That restriction would probably include every single person in this building right now. Maybe not, but most of us for sure. If you're a Jewish woman, you could get a bit closer. You could come inside. 
but you wouldn't be allowed past the foyer or the lobby or maybe restricted to the basement. Okay? The Jewish men could enter the courts where some sacrifices were made. So if you were a Jew and a man, you could come into our sanctuary maybe. But in the temple, there was a deeper place than even that. There's a place that only priests could go, called the holy place. And then there was an even deeper place called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, where only the high priest could enter once a year. And the way to God's holiest presence was blocked. It was cut off, forbidden, by a thick curtain. But then one day, as Jesus breathes his last on a cross outside Jerusalem, our great high priest tore the curtain in two. In Paul's words from Ephesians 2, Jesus broke down the dividing walls of hostility, welcoming all who had come into his courts. In fact, he then placed his presence within his people instead of a temple altogether. Look back at the final verse of chapter 2 again. Verse 22 in chapter 2 says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So now the church is his house, his body, his tangible presence on earth dwells in us. So what Paul said here would have been shocking, scandalous even in his day. In verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Listen, this is really good news for all of us who have been left out on the lawn. 99%, if not 100% of us, are Gentiles. Okay, Whenever you hear the word Gentiles in Scripture, think Canadians, Americans, Africans, Europeans, Asians, Filipinos, Arabs, whatever you want. Okay, Think anything but a Jew. That's you, most likely. Okay, That's a Gentile. And we take the fact that the church is multicultural for granted these days. We can look around this room. And see so many skin colors. See, hear so many languages. It's a little taste of heaven, if you ask me. But 2,000 years ago, this would have been unfathomable. People from different races and nations and languages and cultures and customs and traditions gathering together is one unified, loving body of people. That's crazy. Some of us here would have absolutely nothing in common with each other if it wasn't for Jesus. But because of Jesus... This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now some of you might think, you're speaking pretty highly about the church. Are you thinking of the same church I'm thinking of? The church that's 
filled with factions and controversies and hypocrisy and pain? Yes, I am. Excluding apostate or false churches, of course, who don't preach the gospel. Every church is a messy place at times. Because the church is made of a people. And people need a lot of grace. Right? From the most religious and most sinful of us. We all need a lot of grace. The saying goes, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it or it won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) By any human standard, the church as an institution should have been abandoned centuries ago. But this is not a human institution. This is the body that God shows. Supernaturally. The house that God built. And he takes all of our messy parts and all of our failures and all of our clumsy grace and he breathes his life into us, purifying us and making us into his bride. I love the image of the church as a body, though. Because it gives everyone in the church value, first of all. And it gives everyone a part to play. I mean, look down at your body, okay? Look down at, go ahead, look down at your fingers. Okay, or now look at your hands and your arms, maybe your legs, your feet. Think of your eyes and your ears, your mouth, your hair, if you have any. Then think of things you can't see, even in a mirror. Think of your heart that's beating right now, and your lungs that are breathing, your stomach, your liver, your kidneys, your brain. Think of your muscles and your bones, your joints, your spine, your your rib cage. Think of your blood vessels running everywhere in your body, your nerves just beneath the skin, your DNA. Every part of your body is important to you. Every part has a role to play. Some are more important than others, of course, but all have value. Some of you, some of them you might be able to live without. Doesn't mean you'd want to. Every part of your body fulfills some kind of daily vital function for you. And translating this to what God says, then you know that if you are saved, you are part of the body of Christ. Therefore, you have value. You are important to the church. And you have a role to play a purpose to fulfill within the church. By God's grace, we have been brought together in a mysterious, multicultural body. That's the amazing news. So, what do we do about it? Paul certainly felt that like he was obligated to respond to God's grace, and so are we. Here's what I think we'll see as we continue in Ephesians 3. By faith in Jesus' gospel we become active ministers within his body. 
When we have faith in Jesus, we not only become members, we become ministers. By faith in Jesus' gospel, we become active ministers within his body. Look at how Paul describes his ministry over the next few verses, starting in verse 7. It says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Do you notice how Paul became a minister for the church? Back in verse 7, it says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So, it was a miraculous work of God's grace and God's power in Paul's life, changing his heart. If you know Paul's story, Paul started out as a scheming, murderous persecutor of Christians. But God reached down into his life and said, I want you to serve me. Our stories are not usually nearly as dramatic. But if God has saved you, he's actually done the same to you. He has reached down into our lives and said, I want you to serve me. And he has miraculously changed our hearts to do so by his grace and by his power. Before we talk about all our ministry, perhaps I should back up a step and ask you a very important question, direct question. Are you part of the body of Christ? You're like, I'm here, aren't I? It's not what I asked. Are you a part of the body of Christ? Church attenders are not automatically members of the body of Christ. Pew sitters and sermon listeners and song singers are not necessarily part of the body. Even active servers are not necessarily saved. Only those with true faith in Jesus are saved and thus are members of his body. So, Do you believe that his gospel is true? The good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Do you believe that? Do you know that you are a hopeless sinner without him? Like Paul feels here, the very least of anyone in the church. Other place he says he's the worst of sinners. And have you placed all of your trust and hope in Jesus to save you? It's only by faith that 
And we have access to Christ's salvation. Like he says here in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. If you have truly done these things, you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Rejoice in that. And if you have not, then I implore you, you must do this even today. Do not delay any longer. Become part of His body. Put your faith in Christ. And if you think you've done this, but it hasn't resulted in action. You haven't done it. Because true faith inevitably works. True members of the church will be active members. You won't be able to help it. Okay? Because grace radically changes your life. Paul was like, God's grace made me an active minister within God's church. And yes, we know Paul was set apart in a special way as an apostle, more so than any of us. However, we are all called to love each other in the body and serve each other in the body. Following the example of Jesus who loved us and sacrificially served us as his body. He suffered for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And as we discussed, just like every part of the physical body has a role to play, every part of the spiritual body of Christ has a role to play, even you. Anyone who wants to belong to the body must be an active part of the body. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you have received mercy, you have a calling. You are part of a chosen people. You are a royal priest in God's kingdom. You are to proclaim God's excellencies. Something, well, ministering to others is what pastors do. Not us common folk. No! Every true believer of Christ is a minister for Christ. Every true believer of Christ is a minister for Christ. So I ask you, what role are you playing in the body? Are you an active minister or not? This ministering to each other can take a whole form of shapes and sizes and roles and activities from serving the poor in a compassion ministry to serving in a worship service, from sharing your faith to sharing your wealth, from directing traffic to directing a, a worship team, from leading a children's program to leading a small group, from helping with a picnic to helping with a potluck, from changing light bulbs to changing diapers, 
Everyone has a role or several roles to play. And if you're not actively doing them, then you're not an active member of the body of Christ. There's so many ways that you could be ministering here at Calvary or in Ottawa. And we'll talk about more of that next week. But if you feel convicted by the Spirit today, don't wait till then. Get active today. Some of you are possibly exploring churches here. Or you may be students just coming to Ottawa looking for a, a church home. We'd love to have you end up here at Calvary. But even if you don't, no matter where you end up, find a biblical gospel preaching church and get active. Don't sit on the sidelines just because you think you have very little to offer. You've been saved. You're meant to minister wherever you are. Now, you might wonder, well, why? Why should I want to do this? I don't need just another thing to do. I don't need another thing on my calendar. But don't you see? This is not just another thing to do. This is essential to your faith. I could try to answer your question by talking about how much you receive when you give. I could try to show you how much healthier the church is if we are actively loving each other. Both of these things are true. You benefit personally. The church benefits corporately. But these should not be our primary motivation. Neither should guilt or shame or pressure yeah, I don't want to guilt trip you this morning to, or to motivate you with selfish reasons for doing this because this is not what you have to do. This is what you get to do. It is a joy to serve the one who saved you. It's an incredibly gracious thing that we are welcomed into the living body of Christ. And being... An active part of that body is what you were made to do. It's what you were saved to do. As Paul says back in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And remember, as we serve, we don't ultimately do it for ourselves or others. We do it for him. Okay, Paul was ministering in order to preach Christ, to reveal God's mystery, to display God's great wisdom everywhere. Verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to lights for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that the ch- through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and a Authorities in the heavenly places. The church is meant to display God's glory and His worth. It is His body, after all. Okay? It's not the body of Christians. It's the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. He's the head. He's the boss, the Lord. And he's the Savior. It's only right that everything we do goes to honor and glorify him. By the way, did you notice 
in verse 10, whom the church is to display God's glory to? Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Not just the earth. The heavens are watching us. Angels and powers unknown. There are heavenly purposes being played out through the church. That sound familiar at all? A lot like Job? The heavens were watching, giving glory to God. We can't even see the far-reaching impact of our worship. Christ's body, His church, is achieving things we can't fathom. And God's getting the glory. At this point, some of us may think, wow, this, this is some pretty lofty stuff. Cosmic, even. How could we, fallen, limited, puny humans, ever live up to this great body of Christ? How could we ever have the strength or endurance or unity or ability to be the church? Those are good questions. And there's a good answer filled with a lot of good news. See, not only does God the Father bring us together as the body, and not only does Jesus make us active ministers within His body, but also by the Spirit's power, we are built up to fulfill the body's purposes. God the Spirit empowers us to grow and fulfill the body of Christ's purposes. By the Spirit's power, we're built up and strengthened to fulfill His purposes. This is how Paul concludes Ephesians 3. Follow along from verse 14. It says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We cannot succeed as part of Jesus' church on our own power. The good news, the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowers us to do what we're called to do. This is why Paul prayed. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And what did he pray for? The Spirit's power. Verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Using the picture of a body again. How do you strengthen your physical body? Exercise? Eating healthy, resting, all these things. If you want to build up your muscles, maybe you can lift weights or go for runs. Right? If you want to lose weight, you can go on a diet. You can eat food that's better for you. If you want more energy, you can get more sleep. 
These are things, when we do these things, our physical bodies grow healthier and stronger. But Christ's body isn't a physical body, so how do we strengthen Christ's body? Well, we don't. God does. Again, look at verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. This is supernatural. God, the Spirit, indwells each of us by faith. He builds up our spiritual muscles. He nourishes us with God's Word. He gives us rest. He gives us our spiritual gifts to help us serve better. He empowers us for mission. And the Spirit gives us the ability to do things we could never accomplish on our own. We've tried to reflect these truths in the mission statement that we developed as a church here at Calvary, which is meant to help you understand why we're here, what we're all about as a church. Our mission statement we print at front and center on the front of your bulletins every week. You can even flip there now and look at it, see it with me. You just say our mission is to glorify God by making and developing increasingly devoted disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it says, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Of course. The church does this by obeying Jesus' great commission to make disciples. And the main means we think we can do this is by loving people and by proclaiming the truth of his word. But we can do none of that. We can't love each other effectively. We can't proclaim truth effectively. We can't make disciples effectively on our own apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to pray for this. We have to rely on His power that God has placed inside of us. By the Spirit's power, we are built up to fulfill the body's purposes. So what are these purposes that the body is to fulfill? Well, exactly what I just mentioned is part of our mission statement. But Paul here in Ephesians 3 hones in on two specific aspects, okay, which I'll just point out to you quickly as we close. The first we see is this, being grounded and growing in love. The Spirit strengthens us to fulfill our purpose of being grounded in love and growing in love. We start with love as our foundation. We end with love as our goal. Look again in verse 16. It says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So God's love is what we're grounded in, like a tree. Rooted in the soil of love. But we're also to keep growing in the knowledge of His love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And notice that The goal of all that is to be filled with God. He's what we're aiming for. And that speaks to the most obvious purpose of Christ's body that Paul speaks about, and that is glorifying God. 
the Spirit strengthens us to fulfill our purpose of glorifying God. We exist for Him. Don't let anyone tell you anything otherwise. Listen, Paul's, listen to Paul's epic benediction in verse 20. It says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. In in this, Paul points to the future, points us ahead, dares us to dream. He says, whatever we think, the church can do. Whatever we pray that the church can do, God can do immeasurably, abundantly more through us. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, therefore He deserves the glory for whatever we're able to do. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The body, such a simple, earthy metaphor for the family of people that God has brought together. We all have bodies. We can all relate. We all can understand what it means. That each one of us has value. Each one of us has a part to play. Though belonging to the body is not necessarily easy, it may be even difficult or painful at times. I mean, remember, Christ's physical body suffered on a cross. Why should we expect Christ's spiritual body to experience anything different. But belonging to the body of Christ leads to extending and experiencing the glory of Christ. I'm going to leave you with a quote from Ray Ortland, who tells us this. It says, Obviously, we pay a price to give our lives to a real community. We lose some of our space, time, and freedom to do as we please. But the Bible tells us to submit to one another. That requires us to adjust, to fit in, to always look for the win-win. Scripture is clear. Christians have to choose between isolation, which is easy, and belonging, which is costly, and much more satisfying. Here is why our belonging to a church matters so much to God. We are living stones in the spiritual temple that he is building in the world today. He wants to dwell among his people, and we as living stones find ourselves when we are built into the spiritual temple. There is no churchless Christianity. God is building a new community, and it's worth belonging to. I hope you can sense that worth. It's worth belonging to. And I hope you're ready to find your place and to truly belong to the body of Christ. Let's pray.
God, we pray that you would send your spirit on us as a church. We know that you have already indwelt us by faith. We rejoice in that. Please give us a special dose of your power to minister to each other and to minister to those around us in our community, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, our families, as your body to the world. We need you. We rely on you. Please use us, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.